0: Those seem to be in good shape. Hotel occupancy is still way up, and they're the the um, the travel industry has a name for this higher occupancy that we're seeing everywhere, and the higher amounts of flight and so on. It's called revenge travel, where you didn't get to do it during the pandemic lockdown, so you're catching up. We've actually passed the catch up point now, and we're still going forward, which is why the label is revenge travel. Once more onto the breach, dear friends. I'll fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to a, an exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will talk about such exciting things as tax rates and demographics and other drool-inspiring. <laughs> there should be another disclosure. Please do not. Operate heavy equipment or vehicles while listening to this program. Uh, We may recommend the podcast for insomnia, though it has not been approved by the Federal Drug Administration for any type of uh, health or ailment. Yes. Uh, In fact, we might ask you to talk to your therapist about making sure your meds are good before listening to this program. Did you want to talk about any of that or your own thing? Well, I've got some things I want to talk about. Okay, go for it.
1: Well, Moody's came out with Moody's Analytics came out with a report that we mentioned in the newsletter. Um, the stable retail prices that we saw prior to the pandemic are unlikely to be restored. Uh and, and so inflation will be as it has been historically in the history of the United States, uh with rare exception, like during the Depression, an ongoing issue. Now, what does that mean in practical terms? That means that prices will be historically have, have averaged around 3% increase per year in the United States. I think they're going to get back to that, or nearly to that at least. The, the reason that we saw a dramatic decrease in prices was simply uh, China had very cheap labor. They were bringing people from the farm to the factory floor Things could be made a lot cheaper in China, and even after they were shipped over here, they were still cheaper. So there was a race to lower prices on goods. And at the same time, we had an abundance of people in the workforce. Um, Some of it was due to illegal immigration, and it was due to a lot of things, but we had an abundance of people in the workforce, so even service costs were going down. Now, a few things were going up. Food was going up and and some other things were bobbing around. Uh, Petroleum was going up in price. But we wound up with a 0% inflation environment for about a decade, unlikely to be returned. Uh, We're going to probably see, you know, we've made a wild guess here at 2.5% inflation over, over a long period of time, maybe higher. Now, what does that mean in practical terms? That means that interest rates will be higher. Because in order to make money, if somebody's going to loan money, they have to apply enough money to cover their expenses, their, their risk of making a loan, inflation, and then put a little profit margin in there, or people who loan money go out of business, whether it be bonds or whatever, which means that interest rates will tend to be higher going forward. As a matter of fact, long-term interest rates are gradually creeping upward. I think we're going to see them stay up. I think we're going to see something return to very similar uh, interest rates that we saw in the 1990s. What does that mean across the board? That means the problem we have seen at the banks, and by the way, banks are addressing these problems vigorously right now uh, where they have long-term loans that they're depending on to make interest to make profit so that they can loan so they can they can pay on deposits when people put them in the bank they're upside down right now they i'll give you an example uh we have a two point i think a 2.3 percent mortgage on our house and we keep seeing that mortgage sold from one organization to another, very awkwardly, I might add, so it's hard to get our payments to go to the right place. Somebody lost a tremendous amount of money when they sold that. Because if we're in a 7%, and we are right now, mortgage environment, and you have a mortgage that's paying 2%, I don't know how small amount of money, but for every $100,000 in there, I wouldn't be surprised if they cleared maybe if 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 they were really good, they got $50,000 for a $100,000 loan. Every $100,000 worth of loan probably is worth about $50,000 on the open market, which means they took a huge loss on this. I don't think we've seen all the results of that yet. I don't think we've seen the impact that that's having on the large-scale lenders who loaned a lot of money out at very, very, very low interest rates. And they were begging, if you recall back then, they were begging to refinance mortgages and loan you money at low interest rates. That is going to impact down the road. If you are one of the organizations or people or you have anything to do with an organization or people who loaned money out during that period of time, you have a bond portfolio with a very, very low interest rate on it and it's down and you're waiting for it to recover, you're probably going to have to wait for maturity to get your money back. And then it's going to be your money back minus uh, inflation. And in all cases, we're not going to see it back. One of the things that's creeping up in society, in, in, in the economy right now, it's creeping, and in, in Moody's said, mentioned this is, in passing. I don't think it's having a major effect on the economy at the moment, but the number of bankruptcies has been rising steadily. And many of these bankruptcies are what are called financial bankruptcies. In other words, some organization that, other than a bank that was loaning out money at very low interest rates suddenly realizes that they can't, that they can't pay their bills anymore. We're going to see more of that. Now, the question is whether Whether it comes all at once or whether it comes staggered over a long period of time, I tend to think it's going to come staggered over a long period of time. I also think there's a tremendous effort out there to unload low-interest loans to somebody, to anybody, uh, to get them off the books. Banks are working at it very, very hard. The Federal Reserve is working with the banks very, very hard to do that. They're taking some of the loans on their books. Uh, to keep the banks solvent and solid. But it's going to be an ongoing problem. And I think if you are an investor and you're looking long term, uh, you need to be aware of the fact that if you are buying into or have bought into some portfolio that has uh, low interest rates in it, uh, low interest rates on bonds or whatever, it isn't going to get better. Um, It's probably going to get worse as time goes by. And that's something to just bear in mind if you're in a, if you're thinking about the economy, you're thinking about investing. Uh, we've had this happen before. Uh, the reason for the 1982 recession, which was a pretty severe recession, was exactly that. I think it's being fairly well managed right now, but it's just something I think everybody needs to be aware of: is that longer-term interest rates are headed upward, and as they head upward, bond portfolios and long-term interest-bearing positions are not going to do well. Yeah,
0: we may in the future see some of the shorter term stuff come down a bit as the long term stuff goes up a bit, but we may not. It may just be that the long term stuff goes up. What does that mean? It means mortgages are likely to be back in the 7% range in the next out. few years. Yeah, that they're going to be there. They're not mm-hmm. they're not going to come, you know, people are saying, "I'm going to wait for it to come back to 4 or 5." Don't count on that if you're basing your life decisions on that. Look at it and say you may need to save more for the mortgage. There's, there's other things that you can do. It is harder than what it was. But to lay this out, anybody above the age of about 35, if you owned a house 10 years ago, you had mortgages approaching this. And if you owned a house 15 or 20 years ago, the mortgage interest rates were higher than this. So it, and it didn't cause us to stagnate and not be able to buy houses. There was a time period since then that it's been much cheaper to get a loan, but the house prices have gone up. Well, that means that with house prices high and mortgage prices high, there is an opening here for home builders. Uh, house prices have come down from what they were at the very top. But only because the interest has just been too high. We still have this pent up demand for houses, which means home builders should be building homes. We had a little bit of slowdown on that recently, but it's picking back up again now that people are realizing hey, we still don't have enough houses. We need to find a way of building them cheaper. So, another long term parallel, you mentioned this in passing. Why are house prices so much higher during this time period? I mean, if interest rates are way up, why aren't the prices of houses coming down, 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 down? And the reason is something that we have not discussed in this. There's another variable. The source of the work to make the house is very different now than it was 15 years ago. No doubt about it. Uh, The house construction population in the United States is much smaller today than it was 15 years ago. Well, why? Because we had a significant number somewhere between 5 and 7 million people in the United States illegally that were in the construction trade. And that number is now somewhere between 2 and 3 million. When you have that significant a drop in one portion of the construction market, now, is it good that they were illegal aliens? Is, th- that's not what I'm discussing here. It is, that's a completely political side of things. When we're just looking at source of labor and a cheap source of labor for building houses, it made the houses cheaper to build. <laughs> it's just a statement of fact. It isn't a statement of ethics or morality or should they been here illegally or not. We're just looking at the price differential. The price differential now is because a much larger segment of percentage of the construction market is here legally or are citizens today over 15 years ago. This This is a natural progression. When we say illegal immigration is bad and we enforce that, then we have less people here illegally doing those jobs. That's not the reason why these illegal immigrants left, by the way. The construction market was directly impacted far more from the global financial crisis, the Great Recession, than by any change in how we followed the rules of our immigration. The fact that we had such a major housing collapse in 2008 caused us to build less houses, which meant a large portion of that construction population was out of work. And those that were illegal went back. And the vast majority of that illegal population was from Mexico, and they were in their upper 40s, lower 50s. Now they are in their mid-50s, upper 60s, and they're not going to come back here to build houses. They're not in the right age group to do that anymore. Uh, So that leaves us with how do we build houses? And there's a lot of technology that's stepping forward to step into that gap in Georgetown, Texas. And Georgetown and uh, Liberty Hill are the fastest growing communities in the United States right now. Um, and that's saying a lot. They are not, they're about 30 minutes away from our, our, where we're recording this program. When we're doing it live, it's still the same place. So they're about 30 minutes away from us. And we can see what's happening there. There's a community in Georgetown of 100 houses that uh, the first houses are on the market now that were 3D printed. Now, those houses are not significantly cheaper than other houses in the same area. In fact, sometimes they're a little bit more expensive. Well, why am I saying it then? Why is this a conversation about prices coming down? Because the first prototypes of a new technology are always more expensive. But the long term of this is if the machines are doing this and they get better at doing this, as they will if money's pumped into it, then we'll have less people working on the job site and a faster construction of a house. And that's just the way the world works. So over the next few years, don't expect a big wave of new people into the construction industry. It's been too volatile. Even in the last six months, we've had big layoffs and big hires and big layoffs. If you have a choice between doing that and something that doesn't lay you off as often, a lot of people go to those other more stable jobs for some reason. I know it's weird. Uh, So don't expect that to alleviate what we should expect as technology to step in and automate the construction of houses over the next five or six years, we should see some really big changes there. Uh, not just the, ooh, it's a 3D printed house, but actually a better house than what you could get otherwise.
1: You may, I don't, didn't hear you mention it, but I may have missed it. One of the issues that's going on out there right now is people who live in houses with low interest rate mortgages.
0: Right. They're not willing to leave.
1: They're not willing to sell them. And so we have this issue of supply and demand. Normally, as Jake mentioned, when interest rates go up, the price of houses goes down and goes down dramatically because uh, it's obviously the, it's it's costing a lot more in terms of payments to buy the house. Therefore, the overall lump sum value of the house goes down. And we've not seen that.
0: or well, not much. And again, it's it's happened just in a very incremental right, amount.
1: Right. Last couple of months, they've actually gone up a little bit, and it's an issue of supply and demand. There's just a lot of people, particularly the boomers, who are in houses that have uh, very, very low uh, payments on. And since the payment rate is very low and the interest rate is very low, uh, like I said, I have a two percent mortgage. There's no way in the world I'm going to pay off a two percent mortgage in this environment because there's better things.
0: In essence, inflation's running five inflation, percent
1: higher then then my mortgage the bank's paying you money uh i'm i'm actually being paid to have a mortgage and that's by any stretch of the imagination a good deal and so there's no way in the world that i would if let's say i was living someplace I didn't want to live let's say i wanted to move to north carolina where the weather is much nicer and and we have family and so on which i'm not going to do and don't i want to right now it'd be really, really, really difficult to find a place in North Carolina where my house payment would, a nice place in North Carolina right now where my house payment would be the same as it is here. Simply because, uh, well, a couple of things, the price of houses have gone up there dramatically recently. And the second reason is I've got a 2%, 2 2.3% interest rate on my mortgage. There's just, and that is going to create that is creating an effect in the United States. Now, one of the things I think we will see coming is more building of new houses, and we're already seeing that around here. And we're this is one of those issues at least here locally in Central Texas what I'm seeing is a tremendous burst in housing construction. Uh for those of you who live in this part of Texas, you may not have recognized that, but a Place called Solana Ranch, just south of us here, uh, just got a municipal utility district approved by the legislature. And they anticipate 50,000 people moving into what previously was a Texas ranch. And the numbers, I don't think, are unrealistic. Fifty thousand people appearing where there was nobody and they're gonna because they're going to build houses for them and the people want to live there. They believe they have the demand for that. Uh I am to be on the planning and zoning commission for salado So I've seen some of the numbers go by. And I think we're going to see a tremendous burst in new housing construction in the near future. And the construction industry is going to do relatively well in the near future despite the higher interest rates, which is really unusual. But that's what we're seeing in the economy today. Very, very unusual things. Normally, the construction industry takes a beating as interest rates rise. The real estate industry takes a beating as interest rates rise. But there are segments of the real estate industry that are booming right now and likely to accelerate. Now, there's some areas where I think they're going to really get beat up, which is uh, city uh, office buildings, but they're converting it to the degree that they're converting those to places to live. They're doing very, very well.
0: so and this can you nicely segue there's a there's a big danger zone in the real estate market but it's mostly on the commercial side and commercial real estate has all kinds of segments there's hotels that are financed through real estate purchases and so on um those seem to be in good shape hotel occupancy is still way up and they're the the um the travel industry has a name for this higher occupancy that we're seeing everywhere and the higher amounts of flight and so on. It's called revenge travel, where you didn't get to do it during the pandemic lockdown, so you're catching up. We've actually passed the catch-up point now, and we're still going forward, which is why the label is revenge travel. It's like we're taking it beyond the point where it was before. We, we've caught up with our travel, and we're still doing more of it, which is good for the economy. Okay. So hotels are fine. City properties that are commercial. Let's just, if you get a mortgage, you usually have an option to do a 30-year mortgage on your house. As a business, you almost never get that option. You get a 10-year or a 15-year loan, sometimes less than that, sometimes like a five or a seven-year loan, that the payments look very much like a 30-year loan. They're amortized over a 30-year period, but they have a balloon on it. Well, what does that mean? It means all of the principal is due in 10 years, if it's a 10-year note, or in seven years. And believe it or not, businesses generally don't have enough money just sitting around to buy this big piece of property when it matures. So what they do is they refinance it. So the commercial loan refinancing, uh, it's just an ongoing thing that happens throughout the years, depending on when you got your mortgage, you've got this thing coming up. And what's being discovered here suddenly is that the interest rates on these loans are significantly higher than they were the last time they refinanced. So unlike what we were talking about a minute ago, where the mortgage holder and the the house owner says, I'm going to stay here because I have a ridiculously low interest rate. These commercial properties are popping up and they're saying, whoa, I might have to dump this on the market because I can't afford the interest payment anymore. And my workforce is much more remote than it used to be. And if we look at occupation of commercial real estate inside the big cities, in the center of the cities, we're still running at like 60 to 70% of what we were pre-pandemic. People are working remotely and bosses saying, come into work two times a week or whatever. It's a significant expense to the business, especially after refinance and the interest rate goes up to hold that real estate. If nobody's going to be in it, we'll, or if only they're only there two days a A week. Why don't we downsize? Why don't we just take the quarter of the office rather than the whole thing? And then we'll have three quarters and we can just rent that out or we can sell it. And that when everybody comes onto the market with that at the same time over or over even a three or four year period as these interest rates are getting refinanced, that causes a lot more real estate to come on the market, which tends to make the prices drop. So inner-city corporate location prices are likely to drop in value a lot. And having said all those silly details, I know they were very detailed, but they're kind of silly. Let's take a step back and look at this in history. We have traditionally throughout our years as a civilization and every civilization, you have this big influx of people into the, into the inner city and it, and it revitalizes the old and you convert the warehouses into something else or you build factories in there or you, the inner city becomes the place everybody wants to be. And then over the next couple of decades, you get this movement out to the suburbs from the inner city. As people reach a certain age and they want to have some room for their kids to be and they want to have good schools and they don't want to be sitting on top of all of their neighbors, they move out to the suburbs. And so you have this housing boom in the suburbs and the inner city becomes less valuable. And we've seen this cycle. It lasts about It's it's 30 years up, 30 years down, and it's this influx and outflux, and if you were to graph it on a map, it looks like breathing, inflow to the inner city, outflow to the suburbs, the suburbs get a little bit bigger. Inflow to the inner city. The inner city gets denser. Outflow to the suburbs. They're even bigger. the The city gets wider and wider and wider. That's what we're watching happening right now. As that inner city, everybody wants to be close to the inner city because that's where work is. Because that's you got to show up at work every day. Well, now you only have to show up at two days a week that lowers the traffic going in and out of the inner city it also makes it less the place to be and the prices start dropping and eventually that might turn into everybody's remote or it might turn into nobody's remote depending on what type of business it is but it's a major shift in the pattern and it's and it's a shift that was scheduled to occur anyway. It's hard to get into Austin. If you're trying to drive into Austin at eight o'clock in the morning or into LA at eight o'clock in the morning, it's hard to get in there. You've got to schedule yourself in there way early. And that. Tends to cause people not to want to go into the middle of Austin at eight o'clock in the morning, and businesses recognize that too. And when it becomes too expensive because of interest rates, then they'll move their location. And we're beginning to see that happen. It's a big, big, big trend that isn't—it isn't by any stretch new. It is a continuation of this much larger pattern. I I get fascinated by those larger patterns, but to a lot of people, it's like looking at the green letters in the matrix and they go, I have no idea what you see there. It's the breathing of the demographics of the United States. And they go, yeah, Jake, you're just weird. So yeah, I'm weird. Oh, well, and then the subject back to you.
1: Speaking of demographics, um, we talked. we've talked about this before, but it's important to keep it in mind. China has probably peaked in its, uh, in its demographics. Not only has it peaked in its demographics, but there's another factor that's coming in here that is really strange. I would not have expected it, but it's happening. Not only are they short on young people and long on older people and have a shrinking population, I have been repeatedly astonished to find that about 20% of the young people, that's people 25 and younger, who want to work are unable to find work in China. Correct. That is deeply concerning. Why are they unable to find work? Um, Obviously, there's not jobs for them. Why are there not jobs for them? that's because China, no matter what they say, is not growing very well in the area where these people are educated. They're educated for intellectual jobs. They're not interested in going to work in construction, although there's not a lot of construction going on in China right now. They're not interested in working in a factory. They have been educated to do high-tech or administrative jobs in China because of that's that was the big demand prior to the pandemic. The very poor handling of the pandemic has caused China to earn a reputation as being an unreliable supplier of that kind of labor. That is really awkward is the understatement of the year on this one. Yeah. Uh, And, and China looks very much like a country on the cusp of a terminal decline. What does that mean in, in the big sense? Well, one, we've already said people are moving out of China. As a matter of fact, uh, one major company, I don't remember which one it was, oh, Microsoft, I think it was, um, is actually physically moving their researchers that they've been using. They've, they've had a big research center in China, and somehow they have convinced China and Canada to allow those people to physically leave China and go to work in Canada. A major move. I think China will probably clamp down on that at some point. But that type of thing is going on. And why is it going on? Well, China is oriented on two things that are very, very uncomfortable. Centralizing the economy, uh, the control of their economy by a single person, uh, rather than letting market forces control their economy, which is very damaging to the economy, they're As we said, their demographics are sliding in the wrong direction. And last but certainly not least, they appear to be deadly serious about taking back Taiwan and taking the South China Sea by force. Uh, Our military leaders um, have testified to Congress several times in the past year that in the next five or six years, they expect China to effectively go to war. And generally speaking, I'm going to tell you, we won't stand by idly while that happens and it would collapse the economic um the economic commerce between China and the United States, which would cause the Chinese economy to collapse. I hate to put this in such a horrible situation, but the Chairman Xi and their behavior sure does look apocalyptic from here. Um and, and it may not happen for some time but it's one of the things that i think we need to bear in mind is that coming down the road someplace we've gone a long time without a major war in the world coming down the road someplace we may get one whether we like it or not now is this a threat to the united states not unless china shoots a lot of nuclear weapons which would be effectively suicide for them
0: and i have two things to add to this because you're talking about the 20 25 plus percent unemployment rate for the 16 to 19-year-olds?
1: 20% is what I actually
0: read, but okay. go ahead. In the United States, we have a higher than usual or higher unemployment. It's not unusual to have high unemployment in that age group. Ours is 10%, 10.3% there. And that's the, the people in that age group that want to get a job that are having trouble getting a job there. Uh, if you, it's It's half of the unemployment rate in China in the same age group which tells you something about our economies. The other thing to add to this, so that's just a piece of information to give framing to the picture, that that's unusually high what they're experiencing in China. The other thing is that the Wall Street Journal just did an article on a bunch of Chinese-made armored vehicles showing up in Chechnya, that the Chechens are buying a lot of chinese military equipment now side note on this the russian military operates very very differently than the united states military they've got an army and then they have auxiliary forces that are not in any way part of the army more like large mercenary forces so the the wagner group is one that most people are familiar with now Um, but the chechens are the same they they're basically the old-school tribal warlords, only they're institutionalized into military organizations. They're not corporations. It's family-owned, if you will, in the old nobility sense, the tribal sense. And the uh, Chechens are getting a bunch of Chinese military equipment. It hasn't been used in Ukraine yet, but I can see how that might escalate the tensions with China Across the board with Europe and the United States, if the Chinese are helping to support the invasion of Ukraine, the Europeans and the United States are their biggest, by far, biggest customers. Uh, They're also customers. China is a customer of Europe. When we talk about manufacturing in China and we talk about how they've gotten really good at manufacturing things and they've got good skills in there now, most of the manufacturing equipment itself, the stuff that makes the stuff is made in Germany. And so the Germans export to the Chinese and what we're seeing with the China, with a recession beginning in Europe led by the Germans lowering their GDP numbers, and the Irish as well, but the Germans specifically, because that's the biggest result in the economy there, it's because their orders from China are down. We talked about this the last several weeks, that the manufacturing index, the producer manufacturing index in in China, is that they're ordering less equipment for manufacturing. Well, that's going to have a direct impact on Germany. If the Chinese are also funding the war... From the Russian perspective, going into Ukraine, Germany's not going to like that. They're invading Russia. I mean, invading Europe, uh, and that's that. No, it's going to cause big sanctions on China if they're supporting Russia in the war. So those are all little pieces of that same puzzle you were covering, um, and just added pieces to the to the picture you were already making. It's it it doesn't look like we're on the brink right now. But man, it looks like we're moving toward a brink somewhere on the horizon. And you had something.
1: I think
0: we have just,
1: we have seen something announced and released that appeared to be underwhelming and has been dismissed, but may be as big as the smartphone. And that is Apple's Vision Pro.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, That's a a big leap. For you, and having said that, Leap is one of their competitors, so I'm not sure that I should say it's a big leap.
1: Well, $3,500 for a set of VR glasses? You must be kidding me, was my first reaction. But it's apparently a lot of people's reaction. But but actually reading articles by people who have used them, I am seeing why it's worth it. I am sitting here right now with three monitors around me. Combined expense cost of those monitors is in the thousands of dollars. What this thing will do,
0: and, and I have four, just as a, is as big monitors. Four replace of them. those
1: monitors, plus a lot more. The people who have used it say they have spoken with other people who are using. The, to give you an example, first off, my vision is not as good as it used to be, and so my ability to see things on the monitors has decreased. Apparently, they have got that problem pretty thoroughly whipped in this uh, in this set. By the way, in case you haven't heard about this thing, it is not only a VR set where you can see visual, you can see things three-dimensionally and so on. It also can be seen through and has cameras on it so that you can see what's going on in the room with you. Now, face-to-face with somebody obviously would be a problem there, except they have an app in there that has another person wearing those. You can see their full face as if they weren't wearing them, and apparently works very, very well. This is, in other words, if you could replace all my monitors, allow me to see what's going on in the room, and allow me to see other people like I can, rather than on a screen, see them in three dimensions like they're in the room with me. I think this thing will change everything.
0: Now, I'm going to come in here and not disagree with you, but I'm going to point out something that is true. The HoloLens from Microsoft has been around for a while. The HoloLens 2 is their main offering, and it's an augmented reality set of goggles that is mostly used in engineering and manufacturing mm-hmm. that allows you to work with with exactly with multiple screens and so on. And guess what the price is for the HoloLens 2? Already what is it? exactly. So, what Apple is saying here is we can do that too. And I think a larger embracing of this. So, it isn't a set of goggles for you to be sitting in your cubicle typing on your computer so much today, because the goggles that were introduced by HoloLens and by uh, Apple, by Microsoft and Apple, are bulky, they're heavy. They are mm-hmm. they are oftentimes connected via a wire to something. I know they're supposed to have a battery on there, but if you have a battery on there it's even bulkier and even heavier so it is the early stage of something like the PC when it was only purchased by large companies and it had specific custom software made for that company to be used on those on on that screen in this case it will be AR and I think you're absolutely correct. This is this is something that is going to change the world as we know it. The form factor and the weight of the existing prototypes, they're prototypes that are being released for mass population, but $3,500 is not a mass production and not a mass population thing. This is going to be something different in 10 years. It's going to be a lot lighter and a lot less intrusive but it's going to be part of our life. It's not going to go away. This isn't something like, oh, yeah, that's not a big deal. I don't know how that could be used. People said that in the 1980s about computers. How would that improve my life? Well, it will.
1: I, IBM, by the way, on the when, when asked about expanding their use of the personal computer, said, why would people want to have personal computers? What are they going to do? Put menus on them? And even... Uh, even Microsoft, Bill Gates, did not understand that the computer would be the primary communication device that people would use. Right. He never he when he wrote his book, The Road Ahead, he left completely out any concept of of a computer being a communications device and he had to re he had to had to put another chapter in the book after it was published. I think this headset will be as ubiquitous as the vision right now we have of somebody who is in business surrounded by three big monitors
0: right Uh, For for our job, for our work, I mean, if I could carry around a keyboard and a set of goggles so I could take my four big monitors with me, I actually need those for my job. I need that much real estate for my programs. And if I can put my glasses on and see them just as clearly as if they're right in front of me, now I don't want to put on a headset that's going to strap me to my chair and make my neck hurt. And that is going to be what gets fixed in the future.
1: Well, they have a battery pack that will extend the user time of this thing rather dramatically that has a wire to it and you can hang it on your belt. Yeah. So uh, I, the fact that you can actually talk to somebody and see them in three dimensions that are wearing this that don't look like they're wearing glasses and they will see you without wearing the glasses and right. it does an accurate job of portraying the face, including your expressions, is, is quite impressive and we're
0: out of time. Yeah, and we're about out of time.
1: This is The Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake
0: McClure. Uh, this is The Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns a- about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance program, as you would probably guess from The Personal Wealth Coach being our title. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir?
1: I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right.
0: That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable, it takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So, We've been doing this program here uh, on this stu- in, on this station, 1400 a.m. in Temple, since 1996. We've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes.
1: the Information we present on this educational radio program. Has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
0: And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's general portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at? 254-947-1111. You can reach that line tool free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN.
1: And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right.
0: Exactly. Uh, You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades. uh, And you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, Thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.